All right, all right, all right. Should I should I do the thing? Yeah, I think you do the thing because it sounds better <laughs> when it just comes right in. All right. Welcome back to JK Moto Podcast, a weekly motorcycle podcast for the everyday motorcyclist, covering current bike news and specializing in track riding and club racing. We truly do it all. This week, brought to you by Working Class Customs, a custom fabrication shop out of northern Utah. You can direct any further questions on that to Cole. To Cole. To Cole. To Cole. Here we are again. We are back. And and I have some news. News? Uh-huh. Kind of, I, mean, I don't know if it's really news. Did you have any news you wanted to, you know, cover before I get well, to my you, news? You started it. You better just go ahead. Oh, well, hey, you know, we loved having Josh on so much last week that we decided that maybe we would kind of keep Josh Bittinger here and alive in a way. Uh, we're going to try something out. So following the following is brought to you by Bittinger Motorsports. Josh Bittinger himself sent this over. Uh, it's just a little weekly motorcycle riding tip specifically for track riding and, and racing. So I'll go ahead and read what he uh, what he sent over. And if you have any more questions on that or anything like that, go check out Bittinger Motorsports. We'll have some links down in the description. But Josh's wise words for this week is mantra, which mantra is a mystical formula of invocation. That's the Merriam-Webster dictionary definition. So he says everyone should have a mantra or a ritual to prepare themselves mentally before they hit the track. Riding a motorcycle on the track requires huge mental focus. We only have so much brain power or attention available. We need all of our mental capacity to be focused on riding the motorcycle. To prepare ourselves, I encourage everyone to develop a short habit to perform every time before you head out on track. Before every race, Rossi always knelt beside his bike. Was he stretching, praying, or focusing? Some people listen to music just before riding. Some people study track notes, data, or video. And then he throws his ritual in here. So he says he has a small table that he sets up beside his bike, arranges his tire gauge, earplugs, helmet, and gloves in order on the table. And before he hits the grid, he checks his tire pressure, puts a hand on the inside of his tires or inside of the warmers, I guess, to make sure the warmers are working, puts his earplugs in, puts on his helmet, puts on his gloves, and then kneels beside his bike to stretch his inner legs, closes his eyes for 15, 15 to 20 seconds to clear his head and focus on what he needs to do in the upcoming session or race. And he pulls the warmers and heads out. So he says by doing that, he knows the bike is ready. He hasn't forgotten anything. And most importantly, he's fully focused and ready to ride. Stay focused. Josh Bittinger. Excellent. Give us that definition of mantra one more time. A mystical formula of invocation. It's like a magical prayer, if you will. Magical prayer. What's your yeah. magical prayer? You know, I was, I was actually thinking about it. I, I read this, obviously, right before this. So I didn't sound too bad on my own. Uh, live, if you will. And I don't really have one. I mean, I have a very specific order. I take the tire warmers off on, and then I like to do the, the Rossi stand-up stretch thing, you know, when you get on the bike and you're riding down, because it's real silly looking, I feel like. And everyone <laughs> looks at you weird when you're going through the pits. Uh, but That's why you're doing it? Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, I don't know. It's a good stretch, and if that's your thing, that's your thing, and it works. So I'm still working on mine since you asked. Sorry, I didn't ask, but my bad. <laughs> What, what is what is your mantra cole yeah my my mythical prayer is it changes it, it's still changing it's still being developed all right well hey you know i guess everyone can learn from that we're going to take that on board and you guys can expect a, a riding tip from bittinger motorsports every week from here on out so Perfect. mantra mantra is the word of the week mantra thanks for that josh should we get into what we're doing today Tell us, tell us what we're doing today. Well, I got, an, we, we got another guest coming. Did you know about that this time? 
I did know about that this time. Oh, I'm excited. <laughs> Who's the guest? Aaron Stevenson from Cornerspin. Mentioned in our last podcast, and think it in, it piqued our interest. And we wanted to, you know, reach out and learn some more about the Cornerspin school. Yeah, yeah, the road racing in the dirt. Road racing in the dirt. It sounds yeah. funny, it, but it's. I mean, funny is the wrong word. That's it doesn't sound funny. It sounds different but it makes perfect sense when you think about it if you don't think about it it doesn't make any sense so i think that's why we're gonna get aaron on here and <laughs> get it all figured out fair enough well why don't we think about rolling that intro and get him on here 10 forward yesterday at one point i was in six We're back, and we got Aaron Stevenson. This, you know, you mentioned that mirror thing, and now I have to. Aaron, hello, Aaron. Welcome. Hey, you're over there somewhere. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we're all over the place. Uh, anyway, this is Aaron Stevenson uh, from Cornerspin, like we kind of mentioned. Aaron, do you mind kind of giving us a little bit of an introduction on yourself and what this? So, hello, uh, TV world out there, so to speak, streaming world. Uh, Aaron Stevenson here. I'm the Chief Instructor and the owner of Cornerspin. Uh, Cornerspin.com is where we are online. Uh, I'm a professional racing coach and riding coach. Uh, I work with people from all walks of life, uh, a lot of young athletes. I've got athletes that uh, are in Wera. They're racing now, in some in Europe, uh, here in the States. And the school itself is for everybody. So it's a multidiscipline school. Uh, it's an asphalt school, but we teach it on dirt. Hence, Cornerspin Road Racing in the dirt how's that right. yeah we love the, the we love the road uh, what was it again road racing road racing in the dirt road racing in the dirt you have to take kind of a second when when i first heard that you have to stop and say what oh yeah i mean it makes sense but well <clears throat> it's nothing new and when i say that kenny roberts senior king kenny he started it 40 something years ago um so training on xr100s back in the day Guys like Wayne Rainey, Eddie Lawson, John Kosinski, his son, Kenny Jr., um, a host of other athletes. And um, the thing about it, he puts guys on 100s and says, okay, now we're going to learn how to ride. We're going to learn how to be students of traction. So I've taken that same sort of uh, lineage and brought it forward. So all I've done is put my own spin on it to teach people how bikes work how traction works, what to look for, how to feel it. Once you feel it, you get some muscle memory, then you know what to do with it. So the concept behind the school is sound. It's been, we've been doing it for 17 years. Yeah. So as far as like what we do, we start with basic foundations and from body position to rake and trail and load inside bar pressure, how all of that works. So whether you ride street track, road race, uh, Supermoto, flat track, ADV. What we teach is the same and the same. It works for everything. Okay. Okay. So you said you started out on a X, like, are you still running XR100s today? Yes. or? Yeah. So that's what we use. We use uh, CRF100s and we have uh, the CRF150Fs. So those are our two bikes that we have in the stable. At one time I had multi-brands, but as far as keeping brakes and parts and right. 
maintenance. It got to be such a hassle that we started, you know, just taking it down and distilling it down to one brand and it happens to be red. So it works for us. They're pretty bulletproof. You can beat the snot out of them and they keep going. I like the flat swing arm angle on the 100s. They flat track really well. Hence why you've got all the mad dog classes and the many uh, flat track racing uh, leagues that are out there. So yeah, that, it's a great little bike. Works good. Awesome. I was curious how long, like if I, if I got on your website and I signed up, how, how long am I expecting to be there? Two days. I'm going to be with you. Okay. Well, it's a two day school. It's comprehensive. You'd better come in pretty, pretty fit. When I say pretty fit, uh, most people work a nine to five job and then they, they come out to corner spin. They're tired by three o'clock. Right. So we said on the website, it's like, get some exercise, stretch, be ready to go. You know, we're going to ride, then I'll jibber jab, I'll lecture, I'll give you some breaks, tell you some racing stories or whatever, just kind of keep you entertained and moving. Then we get right back into it. We go 10 hours a day. It'll be two days intensive. When you leave, your brain and your body will be baked. We say Monday morning, you'll have the corner spin shuffle. So if you're <laughs> a coffee maker, you're going to be shuffling because you're going to be hurting. We put in a lot of time on the bike. But that's yeah. the way it works. I mean, you're talking, learn the skill, talk about it, learn the skill, and then repeat, 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 muscle memory. You know, just keep doing it until you get it. That's that's like anything. You've got to have the reps. you got to put the reps in to, to really get a hold of this. And to that end, we have people come out and do our school. And this is no lie. We have people do the school 5, 10, 15 times. And that's not going up to the 1.5 or the 2.0. That's just regular corner spin. Mm -hmm. Because the, the volume of information... And you don't have the accessibility a lot of times to practice this stuff or have a place to do it or even have your own bike that's set up the way we set it up. It's set up somewhat like a flat tracker. So there's no knobbies. Uh, we use tires that look like flat track tires. So we want you to lose the front. We want you to spin the tire on the right. rear. But the point of that is that people come back and they'll do the school again and again. A lot of racers come back and refresh every spring. I've had a lot of Moto America guys come back like every February. They're, they're, they sign up and they want to come out and ride. A lot of those guys now teach with me. So I've got a long list of uh, young Moto America pros that come out and regularly ride. Uh, Jackson Blackman's been with me for a decade. Blake Davis for the last four years. Uh, Nathan Galker, I've been coaching Nathan for four years. They'll be doing Moto 4 in Spain this season. Okay. Um, uh, Giacomo Manera, Ryan Wolf, worked with Stefano Mesa for a couple of seasons. Ashton Yates comes out. Uh, we've got a bunch of different folks who come out and train at Corner Spin. And the cool thing is you'll be in a class alongside all these Moto America pros. Some of them are there maybe for the first time that are hearing this information and mm -hmm. you're working alongside of them. So this, the curriculum is built that it works for everybody. So no matter what your level is, you're going to take nuggets of, of wisdom away some gold nuggets are small some are really large depending on where you are in your your uh, journey in riding okay so i'm kind of curious you know we were kind of talking with josh a little bit last week uh mm -hmm. similar he's doing mini bike stuff got into some dirt stuff and we have started to come across the conclusion that people that train in the dirt are better on the road which is obviously kind of why we're here talking to you today um Absolutely. on the opposite side someone that comes to your class with a lot of dirt background, do you see them kind of excel quicker and not get as much out of it? Or is it really truly just no matter where you're at, it is good for you. I have pro Dakar riders come and train with me. And I had this, um, this one Dakar rider, he's an American natural naturalized system from the Czech Republic. And I said, Peter, why are you coming to me? You're, you you ride pro Dakar stuff. Because when you're in third world country, you drive good. 
you break foot, don't run back to fix foot. I want to be sideways, feet up. Two days riding sideways, feet up the whole time. So, you know, we practice everything feet on the pegs. That's part one. Uh, a buddy of mine that uh, taught with me for, year, for years at Corner Speed, uh, Scott Carpenter. Scott was an AMA super bike rider, and he was also a factory support rider for in motocross. He rode the uh, USGP at Carlsbad years ago on a CR500. He goes, what am I going to learn on a, you know, a 100? Mm-hmm. I said, no knobbies, there's no berms, everything's hard-packed clay, it's slippery, and you can't put your feet down. So everybody's going to learn. I've had pro motocross riders come in like that that leave just, you know, their head is kind of exploding because they're riding completely different. We have them doing different things, but it's another tool for your toolbox. You're able to take those tools, put it in your skills toolbox, and your toolbox bigger. It's like anybody knows it. If you don't have a Torx bit and you need a Torx bit, you're kind of up a creek. So a lot of these techniques that we teach, some of them are are like a Torx bit. It's going to be in your toolbox. You go, oh, I need that tool right now. I've got that one a corner spin. Let me use that tool. So um, Pick Pick up your Torx bits from corner spin today. There you go. <laughs> What's the nice? So you mentioned you have, you know, people from all walks of life, obviously mm-hmm. showing up. What's the percentage on like an age range? What's the youngest people you see coming out? So the core demographic is probably twenty-five to fifty-five, mm-hmm. but the youngest students I take, it's not based upon age but skill level. So mm-hmm. I'll have eight-year-olds that show up, but they've been racing for four years. Like Nick McFadden, when Nick came out, um, he used to race for uh, TOBC and for uh, John Rolwich and M4. I coached Nick when he was 10. So at the time, he was one of the younger students, but he had been racing flat track since he was four. So same thing. It's like we get young uh, riders and racers that come out that are eight years old, but they've been tearing it up in mini cup for three years. So it's not so much age as ability, uh, now, we do work with raw riders. Uh, that, that does happen from time to time. But corner spin is the place where you kind of to raise your levels, not go, there's the clutch, there's the brake, there's the throttle. That's something that people should really have down before they ever come out. Uh, but, yeah, as far as, like, young and old, uh, we have, how do you say it? I've had them eight years young, let's say eight years old and 77 years young. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You said, that's an interesting, though, that you kind of mentioned your – your core is 25 to 55. So because that almost kind of sounds like if, if a lot of racers are coming out almost a little late in the game for higher levels, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I used to, well, I say used to, because I've shelved my corner speed school. We were the official school at VIR for 23 years. And the last couple of years has become very difficult to get dates. And there's such a, a, a glut of tracking organizations that, legitimate schools really struggle because if your buddy's telling you, all I got to do is a track day and follow a control rider, you'll learn everything you need to know. Well, it's erroneous, but you're going to believe your buddy. Point of the story is, you know, I don't do that school as much anymore, but the point of the story that I'm trying to make, I kind of got sidetracked, is that the skills that I teach at corner spin, I can't teach at corner speed. Mm -hmm. Because uh, at corner spin, I can say, okay, you're going to come into, we got this big rooster it's made out of metal. We're going to come into the super chicken. I want you to come in full stick. You're going to go to the front brake. I want you to get the front tire sliding. You're going to trail off back to the gas, blah, blah, blah. Okay. You can't say on the racetrack, all right, 
when you come off the front straight through the kink at VR at a buck 40 or a buck 50, what I want you to do is break down through the brake markers, get that front tire sliding, and then I want you to like trail it off and push on the inside bar, blah, blah, blah. It's like, uh, no, I didn't break five bikes. I don't have six sets of leather. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, Cornishman is, uh, is an advanced skills school. You can start somebody out that has really uh, little to no experience. And by the end of the weekend, they're sliding the bike around. They look like very seasoned riders. So uh, to that end, what we teach at corner spin, a lot of it, you can't teach on asphalt. Right. Mm -hmm. So how do you, I guess my biggest question, we're, we tend to be uh, road racing oriented mm -hmm. here on this podcast and the YouTube channel. You know, what's the, the biggest takeaways that go back to asphalt from, so we're talking road racing in the dirt. We're talking about traction and spinning tires and all those things. Like, how does that actually? How does it translate? Yeah, translate. That's the word. Thank you. It's the same and the same. I'll, I'll give you a couple of quick things. Okay. Three-time world champion, Wayne Rainey. I'm telling Wayne all about, this is three years ago at Barber. Pardon me. And we're talking about this. And he says, you know, I'm, this is the way we did it at Kenny's. And I said, well, this is what we're doing at Corner Spin. And I'm showing him photographs and what we do and how we set the tracks. And we said, oh, yeah, Kenny used to set his tracks up like this. And, um, so as we're, as the discussion's going on, the thing that he said to me that, that really resonates the question with the question you're asking, um, he said, Aaron, he goes, if, if someone is not a student of traction, they'll never have confidence and they'll never go fast. You have to be a student of traction. So that's how, what we teach translates back. Like with Blake Davis, I've been working with for the last four years. And I've talked to him a, uh, a lot. We stay in touch. And what's so cool about this is that losing the front end typically is something that no one ever wants to do. And it's a right. really scary thing, right? right? So we want our athletes to learn how to do it at will on command. So when my athletes come out to corner spin, my road racers, I'll put them on the short track. I'll put them on. A, I'll put a, um, a hot shoe on them. Uh, light shoe. That's the brand I use. Um, there's a quick plug, but, um, I'll put a hot shoe on them and then I'll put them on the short track and I'll show them how to slam the bars all the way over and scrub okay. up the front, go completely past the load point to where there's no traction. Then they've got to push on the inside bar, roll the gas on, snap the bike up and drive it off the corner. So that technique right there for my, for my advanced athletes, when your knee on the deck and the front end tucks. If you haven't experienced it, if you don't have muscle memory and knowledge for this, that's the moment that you pucker and you go down mm -hmm. because right. you're not responding. You're being reactive, not proactive. And when you're proactive, you're like, okay, I've done this at corner spin. I feel it. I know it's coming up. This is what I've got to do to correct and stand it up. I'll do drills with the guys to where I put them on the short track and I'll have them tuck in the front over and over. I'll say, okay, I want you to tuck the front. Now, this is my athletes, okay? This We're going to the next level. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'll have them tuck in the front. I'll say, okay, now I want you to snap the bike up. So they'll snap the bike up and drive it off the corner. If the bike over-rotates and the rear starts coming around, coming around, I'll say, what just happened? Coach, I just high-sided. Exactly. So when you snap it up, you got to snap it up in a straight line. You can't let the bike over-rotate. Mm -hmm. So we do this over and over and over again. And I keep mentioning Blake because he'll call me up and go, coach, this happened at Pitt. This happened at Daytona. This happened at blah, blah, blah. The techniques you had me working on, like last year before he did his 200, his first 200, we were working on a, a drill where we're going down the back straight and we're trail breaking until we lose the front. 
and then we're trailing off, rolling the gas on, snapping it up. All of that translates to the limit. The limit's always the limit. Your mental right. limit, the physical limit of traction, the limit of the bike. What I try to do is explain and teach you where the limit is, and then your job is to kind of creep up on it and try to go over and come back. Because okay. if you're not ever going to reach the limit, you're never going to be really, really fast. You've got to know where the limit is. And if you find the limit without knowing what it is and how you got there, you'll be picking yourself up off the ground, or it'll be ground sky, ground sky, ground sky. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. right. Going back to the, um, the question you asked me, the limit's always the limit. Traction's always changing. You've always got 100% available traction. If you're ice racing, you have 100% available traction. You just have a low frictional coefficient because you're on ice. If you're on asphalt on a nice summer's day where the ambient temperature is 90 degrees and the track temperature is you know, 115 or 120, you've got a really sticky surface. So you've right. got a friction environment. So understanding, and then of course there's the rain races, there's the uh, there's the wet dry conditions. Traction is always changing. So understanding that those load changes and traction changes and how it affects the machine is all about what we do. Then you take that knowledge and you apply it. What happens at 10 miles an hour happens at 110 miles an hour. We just put you in a safe environment right. where you hit the deck and you get up and you go. <laughs> okay, do it again. You know, <laughs> hey, jokes. We call it the beer and Advil school. You might want beer. You're gonna need Advil. <laughs> uh, that's pretty you know, good. Because you're riding over the limit, and that's what it's all about: is being right. able to get beyond the limit. That's why, with Kenny Roberts Senior, again going back 45, 50 years, he trained his athletes with seven horsepower. About 10, 15 years ago, Jorge Lorenzo. Never was a great rain rider, but he was having a real hard time in the rain. So Yamaha sends him to Kenny's ranch out in Hickman, just outside of Modesto. So he's got Jorge Lorenzo out there for three weeks. And so you can you can look it up online and, and uh, read the story, or, or I'm sure there's an interview with Kenny. And he says, okay, I've got the current world champion of the GP, and I'm putting him on a seven-horsepower motorcycle <laughs> over the limit. Right. But same thing. When guys like Stefan O'Meara, Jackson Blackman, and Ashton Yates, CJ Crosland used to come out and train with him before he retired, these guys get out there and they're banging on each other. They all bang with them, but the, the, <laughs> you cannot not coach down. Knocking coach down is off the table. I will right. help with you, but if you put me on my head, it's like <laughs> cutting everything short. <laughs> Changes the day a little bit. Yeah, it's like, you know, if I keep come out and you know, drive the tractor and prep the tracks, you're not going to be able to ride. You know, yeah. plus you get really so you <laughs> mentioned a minute ago, <laughs> you mentioned a minute ago, a, a hot shoe. Is that what you call it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, can you explain what that is to some of us that might not know, like me? <laughs> yeah. Well, OK, so uh, if you watch AFT, and you should watch AFT, American Flat Track Series, um, the, the, the steel shoe goes on your left foot. And the steel shoe is covered with like a steel like nickel um, alloy that is a hardened, smooth surface that allows your foot to glide over the surface of the clay. This way, this way you can use your foot like it's a knee puck, if that's a great, and it's probably a really good road racing analogy. Um, so a hot shoe, you can look them up online. It's a steel shoe that, that straps to your uh, boot, and that is a tool that you use. It's a, it's a flat track tool. Which leads me into this. <clears throat> With the road racing and dirt, 
I use flat track as a tool to make road racers better road racers. I teach flat track. I teach flat trackers or young budding flat trackers. And then I, s- I send them on to a, a pro flat tracker that is like actively out there doing it. But as far as all the basics and learning how to use a shoe and learning the concepts of flat track with the hot shoe, I teach all of that. But like I said, I teach it to my road racers to make them better road racers. So it's a training tool. But yeah. that's what a hot shoe is, and that's how that all fits together. I've got one in the truck, but I'd have to run out and grab it and come back. If I would have known we were going to talk about hot shoes, I would have put it right here. <laughs> we never know where it's going to go. Yeah, that's a, that is the best part. You never know. Okay, yeah, going back. So you mentioned earlier that that schools across America in general are having a harder time because you got all these just track day orgs. Correct. And you're absolutely right. Um, I would say that both of us are kind of, at least in the past, have been of the opinion that, yeah, coaching, eh, I don't really need that. I'm just going to go do a track day. I'll be all right. Worst case scenario, yeah, follow a control rider around, but also I can probably figure it out. Is that something, like, that? that's a relatively new thing? And like, what is your opinion on that, I guess? So I would say probably in the last, I mean, I've been doing this, you know, 20, I've been a pro coach now 25 years full time. And I've been blessed to be able to do that. Let's just be very clear. Um, I would say in the last 10 years, things really changed after the economic downturn of 2008. And then going into the early teens, uh, we started seeing more and more track day organizations. A lot of the track day organizations had uh, more, I would say, lax rules as far as letting people on track without naming any names, there were track day organizations where the ambulance drivers got more track time than the actual participants. I've so, been to a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, hey, what's your favorite color? Red. So I said, <laughs> all day. Um, we pride ourselves on the fact that we've had weekends where we never saw a red flag. And that's just really awesome. And it's because up until things really started to degrade and change with the, all these track day organizations that didn't require uh, education before you got on track, people, uh, where, where am I going? I got kind of sidetracked there. If you're not properly educated before you get on track and you just start riding, you're going to find yourself riding over your head really, really quick. And right. so if, if a control rider looks over his shoulder at you and he, and you, you know, he gives you the thumbs up and you think, yeah, I'm doing fine. And he thinks that means let's go faster. He starts right. pulling it on. Now you're trying to stay with him when he's, mm-hmm. You're looking back to see the fact inside your smoked visor, your eyes are this big. <laughs> like maybe roll off a little bit. So I've kind of sidetracked myself there. I think your original question was about you know track days and the track day orgs and how they affect schools. Yeah, you don't see schools like what used to be out there. You don't see many schools traveling. I mean, Keith Coach still travels. I think Jason Pridmore pretty much stays at Chukwala. Mm-hmm. There's a school, I think, called Ride Smart. That's where Josh is working out at Coda. Mm-hmm. Um, but apart from that, and then getting track days, or, or actually getting dates is really difficult. <clears throat> You'll see a lot of tracks like VIR that are 95% cars. So mm-hmm. less and less and less, you're going to see you know motorcycles operating at some of the tracks around America. And then some of them aren't safe for motorcycles. Let's be clear about that. Yeah, it's great that we have the action fund and, and the work that John Ulrich does, and a lot of these orgs that do fundraisers to bring the money in for uh, more air fencing, which we desperately need. You know, make a contribution for air fencing. We need it, but that that goes back to education and and track day orgs. A lot of them aren't supplying enough education before the rider gets on track, and right. then 
they get on. And then of course we're all kind of ego driven. We want our happy meal with our prize and our toy. So we're not <laughs> fighting in the intermediate group. We got to be in the fast intermediate group. We got to get bumped to advanced group. And it, that makes for a, a lot of hairball decisions sometimes. So this, this might not have anything to do with anything, but just to get your opinion. So there are a lot of track day organizations popping mm -hmm. up. It seems like there's more every day. New ones every day. Yeah. And I've heard the argument that there's, there's less people willing to race nowadays because it's so easy to just get on track. Yeah. Um, we talk about that a lot in the pro ranks and even in the amateur ranks with what we're in CCS. It's that if, if a person can go to a track day and win the track day, <laughs> like why should I go out and race, you know? Um, or there are track organizations that offer some like inter-club racing and people have this false sense of I'm really fast. I won this, you know, uh, track day race that my organization put on. And then they go out to a Wera or a CCS race and they get waxed. They're like, <laughs> but I thought I was fast. Well, at the track day were, but people that actually are racing and improving their craft. Yeah, they're going to they're going to suck the paint off your bike. <laughs> yeah to to play devil's advocate though i've always wondered on the you know on the opposite side of that argument is it still maybe better because of how many people are going to the racetrack period now well there's something to be said for building the sport okay and for getting more people to the racetrack there's something for that yeah absolutely and and the place to ride your bike fast is the racetrack mm -hmm. so for someone that's never going to race a track day is perfect for them but at the same time, it would be great to see bigger grids in CCS and where I, I reference those two because that, those are two orgs that race here on the East Coast. And, uh, you know, they're also uh, the springboards for Moto America. Right. So and, and a lot of the Moto America athletes still race, you know, CCS and where mm -hmm. like the Wera National Endurance Series. Um, that's a great place to pick up a whole lot of track time. Right. Um, you go out and you can bake a set of tires for an hour. That's when you really start to understand traction. All the stuff that you would learn uh, in dirt that applies to traction changes, load changes, what's happening with our rake and trail, where's the contact patch going, why do I need to push on the inside bar, all the stuff we work on. When you're 45, 55 minutes into a stint and those tires start to get a little greasy or very greasy, that's when you really start to understand the limit and what the bike's capable of. Now, I know I've diverted again. I go down rabbit holes. Sorry, oh, no, you're good. But um, unless you're going to ride at the limit and ride hard, you're never going to get really fast. But as far as going back to your question, yeah, it's great that there's a lot of track day organizations that uh, allow for people to get their bikes off the street. Going fast on the street is stupid. It just right. is. You know, my little boy is just turned 12. And um, we ride on the street. The bike behind me is a 1978 KZ1000 Z1R. I rebuilt it during COVID here in my office. <laughs> the frame here in my office. But we go out on this. You know, it's you know, it's a classic, and we just you know, putt. You know, 65, 75 miles an hour max. There's no reason I need to do a buck ten, buck twenty on you know open roads. Well, it's a beautiful bike. I was going to bring it up. Oh, but... thanks. I do like the colors. I do. The paint job, yeah. that, that paint job is from the 1980s. So the guy I bought this bike from, I bought it in 89 or 90. I think bought it in 1990. Um, it had that paint job on it. So that's the paint job from like 
1980 something. But then it sat in storage for 30 years, literally sat in storage like till 2019. I'd gone riding with some of my friends with the Chicago Vintage Motorcycle Club. They said, man, you should get that because I took pictures. And I said, man, you should get that thing out of storage. So after 30 years, I pulled it out of storage. You know, I was racing and then, you know, going into corner speed and corner spin. It's like, eh, I'll get to it sometime. Right. COVID quarantine. <laughs> That'll do it. Some good come from it, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And the cool thing about the Kawasaki, after we rebuilt the carbs, dunked them, rebuilt them, put them back on. Um, I called my buddy that was my tuner back in the day that raced, you know, when I was racing bikes like that uh, years ago. He says, yeah, jet it this way since you're going to put AirPods on it. I jetted it, put it on there, hit the starter, crank first try. And the jetting was spot on. My old super bike mechanic knew exactly what it needed. <laughs> cool. Heck yeah. Very nice. To kind of keep going along this along this line, I'm, I'm glad you agree with me, but with the smaller number of schools available, I so I personally have been trying to get down to why do we not have a top MotoGP rider from America anymore? Uh, I watched a lot of MotoGP. It's been a long time, and it used to not be that way, and now there's no one there, let alone anyone near the top. And I'm kind of just curious of your overall opinion on that and maybe if that's... You know, maybe we're figuring out some of those secrets tonight. We need a better feeder system. This is something we talked about for a decade. I was an FIM MotoGP official back in the early 2000s. And um, I've had a chance to go to a lot of rounds, to sit behind closed doors and talk to people that are very high up in Dorna and FIM. And having traveled internationally and seen how other countries work, especially Spain and Italy, mm -hmm. Spain especially, you can, as a child, as, as the parent of a child that, that wants to go race, you can have your kid riding and racing almost every day. There's academies there, lots of academies. And, and the thing is, now we're starting to see a little bit of that start to show up here in the U.S., but not a lot. Ideally, if I had something where I had a paved track, a skid pad, corner spin, and my short track, which I already have, plus the... Um, affordability and availability to get to the racetrack with my athletes also like car tracks and then take them onto a big main track. It's all of those pieces that we need and we need to start grooming our kids really, really young. One of the, the young racers that I'm working with, and this ties into everything, Nathan Galker. I started working with Nathan at the, when he, he was eight and he had qualified for the FIM mini cup in Italy. So he went to Italy when he was eight years old eye-opening experience for his family, for him, to see how things are done internationally. It's like, okay, now we kind of have our feet where we need, know where we need to go. So uh, coming back, they put their heads down, the, the Gawker family. I helped them with some sponsorship initially. I try to do the best I can as far as helping out. And then they found a couple of really good sponsors that had some, where they had some backing. And so now Nathan did really well this year in uh, the mini cup. And then went over to Europe, and then he's done a couple of uh, rounds in Spain. And this coming year, he'll be in Moto Four. And we've already got uh, Kenzie over there. He's over there. Leonidas, who goes Leo, I worked with him. He's over in Spain. He's living there full time. Okay. So now this is how I'm tying everything into your question. We need a feeder system where kids can have a high level of racing, and and also it's got to be at an affordable level too because mm -hmm. it's 
really expensive really fast, especially here in the U.S. US with all the travel. If it was more centralized and we had a feeder system that would allow for um, uh, the kids to race at an earlier age and then in a very competitive environment. This gets back to like, you know, even the track day question. How do we get little dudes and little dudettes into road racing? It's such an expensive sport. But we've got to start them somewhere. And flat track is, is a great place to start them. I love motocross. Don't get me wrong. Flying through the air is really cool. But as far yeah, as sometimes uh, skill sets and what you need for road racing, flat track and TT is, is a much better avenue to go because you're in contact with the earth. You're working on smooth, hard surfaces with very right. traction. And it allows for you to gain those sorts of skills as far as that front constantly moving and leaving and the rear moving around and how do I drift both to capitulate this back to your question. It, we've got to have a better feeder system. We've got to have a better way to get more kids racing at a younger age and it needs to be more competitive. Right. That's, yeah. that's the problem is a lot of our kids will get over to Spain. I mean, they're, they're crushing people here. Then right. they get to Spain in the mid pack. Mm-hmm. If you follow the racing, we see that we see it in the results. Nathan is one of the few kids that have really risen to the top. I'm I'm eager to see what he's going to do next year. So yeah. we'll he's 12 now. Okay, okay. So not so not only just the competition, but also just the availability in general. Like from from what I'm catching from you, you have to go to Europe, right? If you want your kid to succeed, you have to go to Europe pretty early on, from the sound of it. That and get them plugged in uh, to, to some of the riding academies. Um, if you have connections, again, connections. If, if you come from a, a, a fairly affluent background and you can take your kids to Europe, great. There's that part. The other part is that if you can uh, get your kids over there and stay in a riding academy or you have connections with Mo with uh, Monster or Red Bull that are also tied into these uh, academies in Spain and in Italy, that's also, um, you know, something that we need is more of that sort of sponsorship. We had the Red Bull Rookies Cup back in the mid um, 2000s, right? right. Uh, around 2009, I think. Um, and um, that KTM pulled out and then Red Bull says, well, we can't flip all the bills. So it just kind of petered out, which is now we have the, the Junior Cup, right? Mm, but. Right. You know, you go back to that, it's like that Red Bull Rookies Cup. If we could have kept that going, I think we would have seen, you know, more of the American riders moving higher into the ranks. You've got to do well in the Rookies Cup to be selected for the academy. From that academy, you get the higher level of coaching. It's a lot like what, what Rossi's doing with his um, 46 Rider Academy, the, v, the VR46, the master right. class. And here's a sidebar. Several years ago, Yamaha sent Jackson Blackman over there and um, another American rider, and his name slips me right now. But Jackson was able there to train, and this is like when, when Agnaya was in Moto2, and um, you know they got to see Rossi a little bit. But they're at the ranch, and then they're at the tracks, and then they're you know doing a variety of, of uh, training. Point of the story is, and, and this is the sidebar, Jackson got back and goes, Man, there's nothing in the U.S. even close to like what Valentino has. He goes, except for your school. He goes, Corner Spin's about the closest thing you're going to find to what he does at his ranch. So that's kind of a neat thing for me to hear. But this also goes back to we need more academies. Mm -hmm. right? And like for me, if I were to have a Corner Speed, Corner Spin Academy, 
I would need access to asphalt. You know, I would need uh, a lot more sponsors so I could say, okay, I'm going to take 12 to 15 kids and this is what it's going to cost to do it. And I'm going to bring in additional coaches and this is where we're going. So, you know, that there's all kinds of ways to uh, shake the tree, but like, where's the real fruit? What's going to come out of that tree that's going to catapult our racers forward? Yeah. yeah. And then the United, the United States, Easton, as you know, is a, is a <laughs> very big country. Yeah. I mean, it's, we're, yeah. We're, it's like you can fit all of Europe on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. You know, not even Mississippi, right? Um, there's that part. And then the other part is we live in a four wheel country, yeah. you know, true. we are not, you know, motorcycling is not at the top tier mm-hmm. of, of sports. You go to Spain and it's, you know, MotoGP, F1, uh, soccer, you know, it's like, those are our primary sports over there. Cycling is, you know, right. one of the primaries, but here in America, it's, it's not like that. It's a lot of stick and ball sports. And it's, and in some ways I think, diluted we have so many the dilution is so great we have so many sports it's like how do we funnel a lot of these kids that say hey i think i want to learn how to ride a bike it's like we'll learn how to race a bike right you know this is the same bicycling bicycling is the same thing it's like you know it's a very uh small niche sport it's it's not like football baseball you know the pop warner the you know the junior world series and all this stuff but you know the baseball stuff yeah, you that's a football it, fan from your couch, so that's true. That's you, can, you can play baseball in the backyard. So. That's true. That's true. Well, you can ride a trials bike in your backyard and set up obstacles. And right. May or may not have done that a couple weekends ago, but um, not not quite a trials bike, but I was riding a motorcycle of sorts around the backyard. So it is possible. Just so everyone knows, you can do it. Now, I don't have a big yard by any means. And the cool thing is, you can take a CRF one fifty. And uh, just the, the 150 at 13 horsepower. And you can ride it like a trials bike, practice trials maneuvers. You don't have to always load it up, put it on the trailer and go to the track. You go in your backyard and practice trials dancing, hopping over a log. I mean, all kinds of stuff. All of this, any time on two wheels is well time well spent. That's yeah, but Aaron, my, my green grass isn't going to do too well with me ripping it up with two wheels all the time. If it's a trials bike, you won't be doing it. Oh well, there you go. There's the question. The answer to that question too. So, yeah, but if you're out there running it sideways and uh, ripping it, yeah, practicing wheelies and stoppies, yeah, it might rip up a little bit. That's all right. Dirt's better anyway. I think the the movement of the world is getting away from grass anyway. So you know, <laughs> buy yourself a motorcycle, race in the backyard. That's it. So one of the things I've been thinking about throughout this whole conversation is, for me personally, uh, Josh actually. When we had him on last week, he asked me, he thought I had a dirt background Mm -hmm. and I do. I grew up on the dirt, but not on motorcycles. Right. So when I started going to the track, you know, you talk about losing traction. I know how many years I've spent trying to figure out where that limit is that you're talking about. I mean, I'm so much further than I was when I started about knowing what I can get away with as a tire wears down and the right. changes that it goes through. Mm-hmm. But I'm just, I'm listening to you and I'm salivating. I want to come take your class <laughs> because I need to, I need to hit the easier button and, right. you know, get ahead a little bit because as it's crazy, Easton knows I used to ask all the time, like as a beginning motorcycle racer, 
when you're watching Moto America and the guy comes off the track and they're interviewing him and he says, oh, in this corner, it was starting to slip a little bit there. I think I should have had one more pound of air in the tire. I think, you know, all these things. And as a novice person that goes out and starts running on the track, you're like, I don't care. Put five pounds in it. Maybe I don't even feel it. I don't. And, and as you, as the speeds go up, it's amazing how those things start to come into direct play. And like I said, you start finding the edge of grip and what you can get away with. And I would love to reset and come play on the dirt. So, and this leads me to a couple of other things. So uh, people are like, okay, uh, what's backing it in? And you explain to people, you know, backing it in is that you see the guy went sideways going into a corner, right? right. So front, front end activity or rear end activity. And you ask people that, and they a lot of times give you the erroneous answers. So I'll ask you guys, backing a bike in, is it a front end activity or a rear end activity? Oof. I got that. Oh, I don't uh, right front. I'm guessing front. It's a guess, though. It's a front end activity. Okay. You're exactly right. So here's the steering sim front tire and my uh, <laughs> backwards. So, <laughs> driving me crazy. So anyway, here's, here's the back of the bike, right? As I turn, the rear of the bike starts coming around. No, I'm turning the front out from underneath the rear. The rear of the bike's actually going straight. So, okay, so the, the front's coming almost in and under it. If you watch Supermoto, like uh, years ago, Jeff Ward, Ben Bostrom, guys like that racing Reno or Long Beach, they're right next to the six-inch curb uh, of the sidewalk coming down, and they go to throw it into the corner. They're backing it in. The rear tire never hits the curb because they're turning into the corner. And as they turn, the rear of the bike goes straight while they're going this way. Got it. Okay. So it's a front end activity. No, but you know, what about when you use the rear brake? Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. What matters is this is the, uh, the pivot point. And when that front wheel turns, if you had a rubber band instead of a, a steering stem, the bike's just going to go that way. It's just going to get right. straight. Just go out, come back as you're turning. So backing a bike in is a front end activity. All right. So I teach everybody how to back a bike in. And uh, I'll, I'll say to the guy that races, that rides a Harley or rides a Goldwing, it's like, why do you need to know how to back a bike in? I just kind of a vacant look on the picture. Uh, I don't know. It's like, because sometime when you least expect it, that bike's going to get sideways and understanding how the bike feels and responds when it's sideways might be the difference between going off the road going into traffic or making that corner. Right. Then for my racers, it's an active technique. And we watch people backing it in all the time at the high levels of Moto America, BSB, SBK, MotoGP, you see it all the time. Mm -hmm. So this gets back to what we're talking about, take, hitting the easy button. Learn how to do that on a 100cc bike on dirt. Then raise the frictional coefficient, go out to a cart track with a, a local mini uh, mini moto racing organization now and XR 100s will go 50 miles an hour if there's not a headwind <laughs> and, and depending on how much you had for dinner <laughs> but you know top fifth gear like at the VR car track coming into that lefty there you can come in and you can back that thing in nice and sweet now here's the deal you're in a high friction environment so you'd better be ready for that bike to catch if right. you do something wrong so that's why you practice it over and over and over in the dirt. And then you practice it on asphalt. Well, that went pretty good. Let me get a 150F. That's going pretty good. Cool. Let me try a 150R. That's going pretty good. 
let me put on some better tires because what you're doing is you're upping your limit, right? You're upping mm-hmm. your traction, you're upping the limit of speed, you're upping, you know, the overall limit that you've got to creep up to. And by taking the easy route, the easy button, you start low horse, low friction, and then you start building your way up faster, 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 more power, more power, more power. And that's how, again, how these skills translates and gets back to how can I take this information and apply it to asphalt? And like yourself, you get out there and it's like, yeah, I added two pounds of pressure. I really didn't feel the difference. You got to get closer to the limit. So you right. start low, raise, raise, raise. And as you get near the limit, and, and the thing is, I'm old school. I ride around problems a lot. Back in the day, we did not have a lot of adjustments on the old super bikes. Um, we, we pretty much, it was, um, you know, set your tire pressure. If you needed to make a suspension change, a lot of times it required you going back to the shop right. and coming back to the track. So you carried a stack of gearing. Um, if you had the extra money, you might have an extra set of shocks that you could put on. Mm, okay. But yeah, that's, that's old school. Well, that, that leads right into the next question. And I was going to ask anyway, was what your feeling was on the, the new bikes versus the old school bikes and those changes. I mean, the traction control, for example, and the, the things people are hitting the track with nowadays versus 20 years ago. So two things. Um, I think having the availability of electronics is a good thing for a lot of people. But I think if that's all you use, it's a bad thing. If all you've ever done is ridden with, call them nanny controls, TC, <laughs> ABS, et cetera, you're never going to understand the machine, where the limit is, how the machine really functions, and what the function of traction is. Like with when I'm teaching ADV, like at our ADV school, I put these guys that have like the 1250 BMWs and the KTMs and all the stuff that has all of that stuff on it. Now I'm sidebarring to kind of explain this because they're putting these really big, heavy bikes in the dirt, okay? And you can equate right. this to asphalt all right guys i'm gonna teach you how to you know proper braking technique on the 150fs and you're gonna break until you slide the front tire so i have them do that and then after they've got the techniques down we've been doing that braking drill so okay now get on your the bike you brought get on your 1000 get on your 1250 turn off all your your uh abs now we're gonna have you slide that feet up until the front tire slide while you're braking so you learn how to properly weight the machine and um and slide the bike to a stop safely. Okay. <clears throat> what that, the reason I'm giving you that story is the way it applies back to road racing is that like Stefano Mesa, for instance, um, on his um, ZX10 that he was riding a few years ago, you have traction control from zero to 10, zero, no traction control, 10 maximum. He always kept his bike set at zero or one. He wanted to be able to spin the tire when he wanted to spin it. Never mm-hmm. use ABS. None of the guys use ABS. And I know the ABS now is amazing. You've got uh, turn into turn entry uh, algorithms and telemetry and all this stuff that, you know, basically you could be stupid and just do this with your front hand, your right hand, and the bike's going to save you and go, no, that was kind of dumb, but I'm not going to let you kill yourself today. So my thoughts are that the, the electronics are – uh, a great thing to have, especially in a panic situation. People say, well, Aaron, you know, if I'm riding the street, should I leave my ABS on or off? I'm like, leave it on. If you're just street riding, because there's going to be that moment when you're going to panic and grab a handful and you're mm-hmm. going to snatch the brake on and not use proper lever control. And that's when you're going to want to have the right. uh, ABS on. You know, on the racetrack, you know, 
I want my ABS off. You know, I don't want to have it at all. I want to be able to uh, drag the rear brake, slide it a little bit if I need to. Same thing on the front. It's like I may need to get in there to the point where the front starts to slide a little. So again, with my athletes, same thing. I, I want them to be able to understand the limits and then to be able to use those limits on asphalt. That leads me to another piece, front and rear brake. Most people don't know how to use a rear brake. They honestly don't. That's me. I don't, honestly. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit that. Dude, all the kids that come and train with me, first thing I do is I teach them how to use the rear brake and how to use and then how to use it with the front brake and how to use the two together. Um, good friend of mine, Tom Kipp, is a former factory, pretty much everything. Uh, Tom's got a bunch of championships. He raced, you know, for, uh, geez, Ducati, Camel, uh, Honda, uh, Yamaha, with Jamie James as a teammate, and Miguel was a teammate, and uh, Duhamel. It's like, this guy's written for all the big teams. And I had him in the classroom at VIR when I was doing a corner speed school. This has been some years ago. And I'm telling you the story because it's specific to the back brake. I'm like, Tom, talk a little bit about braking. And Tom gets up there and he goes, the rear brake's every bit as good as the front brake. It's every bit as effective if you use it correctly. He's going on this this big speech about how great the rear brake is and all the stuff you can do with it. And as soon as he's finished, I look at Tom, I look at 25 students in the classroom and I'll go, <laughs> forget everything you just wrote. <laughs> because they would go out and try it. And the way you learn how to use that rear brake you get on a little bike in the dirt and you figure out how to drag the rear brake to tighten up the turn. You figure out how to drag that rear brake going into the turn. So you don't, you set up your pass and you can use it like uh, human traction control, human in the sense of like, it's, it's uh, old school traction control, drag yeah. your brake. Nikki Hayden used to like smoke rear rotors on his RC 51 because there was no traction control here. He would like put the brake on a lot. And they later started getting the thumb brake. He would smoke that rear rear uh, disc to use it like traction control and then let off of it as he gets the bike where he wants it in the turn. Getting back to the question of, you know, electronics, how good are they? Is it good to have it? Not good to have it? Cool. If you've got it, use it on the street. When you get to the track, you've got to figure out what you're able to do because with 210, 215 horsepower on a lot of these 1,000s, you better be ready for that hit. You right. better what it's going to do you can light it up you can light up a r7 easy you mm -hmm. know parallel twin and you can light that thing up easy same thing sv650s massage them a little bit if you're if you're keeled over in a corner yeah you can light that thing up right. so understanding the limits of traction and also knowing your machine it's huge i know i get long-winded sorry guys yeah. no good I was just, I was laughing because I, so I got your website pulled up over on my other screen and it says a uh, traction control is in your right hand, not in a black box under your seat, which I can only assume that quote comes from you directly. Correct. Yeah. yeah um, that was something that uh, Michael Galgus, I think you probably pronounced his last name. He was interviewing me for Road Racing World for the track day directory. And I said, yeah, man, tr traction control is in your right hand. It's not in that little black box under your seat. Right. Yeah. It's right here. This is this is traction control. Interestingly enough, once you get to the point where you're riding super high horsepower machines, the factory superbikes, world superbike, MotoGP, those electronics start to really come into place. I mean, when you've got a bike that's producing 280 horsepower, they're near impossible to ride from what I've been told. I've never ridden one without the electronics. Right. Um, but then you have somebody like Scott Redding that says that, yeah, I'd like to go back to MotoGP if they would take the electronics off. 
<laughs> so, you know, everybody's got their take on it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think, um, I think that they could be a good thing in the right situation. But again, when you start interviewing and talking to the top level guys, you'll find that uh, a lot of that's not on there. They're not using it. You know, I can't, I'm, I'm privy to some information that I can't give out as far as an example, but some of the top guys now are using some of the electronics. because That is the wave of the future. Right. They're not using ABS. Okay. Still not. Interesting. As far as I know, I mean, if I'm using ABS, I'm not going to be able to drag that rear brake the way I want to and slide right. it. Like with my, I'll go out and play. I've got a Tenere 700 ADV bike and I'll take it out to corner spin and, and get out on the TT track or the short track. And I'll, you know, have that thing hacked out sideways. And if I, if I forget to turn off the ABS, it turns on automatically. Right. So I have to hold the button down to turn it off. Right. I, if I don't remember to turn it off and I go throwing it sideways in on the short track, the rear brakes on I'm heading for the woods. Right. Yeah. Allow me to modulate the brake to a point to really break traction. So as a, as an advanced rider or as a racer, as a, as a road racer, there's times that you want to be able to break traction willfully, mm-hmm. either front or rear or both. Right. So if you're, if you're using electronics, it's going to limit what you, the pilot, what they say, you know, in MotoGP, when you hear the interviews in like Spanish and Italian, pilot, pilot. <laughs> um, you've got to be able to be the pilot, not the rider. And I even talk about that at my school. It's like, you need to think differently about yourself. If you're a rider, you're on top of something and you're riding. You're letting the bike think for you, like a horse. You know, when a, when a motorcycle, when you're riding a horse, how many brains are at work? Two. Yep. When you're riding a motorcycle, how many brains are at work? None. aside you know if you think of yourself as a pilot not a rider you know a pilot if i make good inputs to my machine then i'm going to get good results if i make bad inputs to my machine i get bad results so think of yourself as a pilot you're piloting the machine like i said all the fim manuals they don't say rider they say pilot right yeah that makes sense sorry i was just thinking about pilot uh you mentioned uh now i'm kenny roberts is that the name i'm getting it right got it right okay just making sure uh and he is he still running out in california still um i don't know what kenny's doing these days he's retired kenny's now in his 70s i'm sure that in some form of uh motorcycling he's very active but no uh he sold his ranch in hickman some years ago but you know out west you've got uh Rich Oliver that has his mystery school that trained with Kenny actively back in the 1990s. So he, you know, he's a direct descendant of the Godfather as far as like the knowledge that he possesses. Okay. So yeah, I was just kind of curious if, uh, you know, if there was, if there's anywhere else in the country that is trying to do what you're doing or is actively doing it, if you keep up with any of those guys or. There's, there's, well, I mentioned Rich's school and, you know, you've got Colin Edwards that's uh, just north of Houston, Conroe, Texas. He's got his Texas Tornado boot camp and um, it's uh, similar to what I do, but different. It's, it's really uh, a very cool place. I'd love to be invited sometime. Colin, if you're listening, invite me. <laughs> um, he's got, he's got a saloon. He's got a place to hang out. He's got a covered area, so even if it's raining cats and dogs, you can still train and still do the school. Um, so, you know, Colin's got his boot camp. Pardon me. I think that we teach 
I'd say most of us, we teach 80-20. 80% of what most coaches like myself are going to teach you is going to pretty much be the same. But how we teach and how we put our spin on things is going to be that 20% different. That different pardon me, that's the uniqueness. So you've got Danny Walker's American Super Camp, flat track oriented. He rents horse arenas and uh, takes his, his show on the road, which is great. It's a great school. A lot of good feedback from, from people. Uh, what's funny is I've had people say to me, it's like, yeah, um, I've done Danny's school and I've done yours. I said, well, what's the main difference? He said, man, every time I reach for the front brake, Danny hits my hand with a flag stick. <laughs> every time I don't reach for the front brake, you hit my hand with a stick. <laughs> so, like, yeah, road racing in the dirt. I want you using that front brake. All right. So coming into corners, I've got people breaking, I mean, like insanely hard. Yeah, I've been doing one-handed drills where they're breaking insanely hard. And then I'll have them do it on a Sunday morning. I'm like, how many of y'all would have believed me if I would have said that on Sunday morning, you know, if I would have asked you this on Saturday morning, I'm going to have you breaking so hard that you're laying down rubber, sliding the front tire, and you're doing it with one hand. Your other hand's on the gas tank. And pretty much everybody goes, I wouldn't have believed you. But that's the sort of thing when you engage yourself properly with the motorcycle and you understand load and traction and how everything works, you're able to take your confidence up to the limit. You're able to let the bike go near, more near the limit or over the limit. And that all comes back to understanding traction. So it's kind of a full circle back right. to learn without the electronics, learn what you can do with it and without it. Practice. If you've got it, practice with both. Go to mm-hmm. a parking lot, you know, break with your traction control. I mean, your, your ABS on, you know, turn it off turn off the front, put it in pro mode, put it in enduro mode, put it in whatever mode, you know, know what the machine's going to do. You have five bikes, do your homework with five bikes. Right. Going to need a lot of parking lots. And it's easy. You don't need first gear, 25 miles an hour. You know, you throw down your car keys, you throw down your wallet, your cell phone or 20 feet apart. And there's your reference points. And you go, okay, I'm going to hit my brakes here and kind of stop by there. You know, I'm not saying throw yourself on the ground or, (laughs) but it's like, Ease into it. Figure out what the bike will do. Right. Yeah. yeah. Now that makes sense. Going going back just kind of to corner spin, we, we talked about how it's two days. Is it always Saturday, Sunday? That's how I have it on the schedule. But um, I'll have people call me up and go, hey, I work in the uh, motorsports industry, the power sports industry. Can you do a Sunday, Monday for my shop and my customers? I'm like, sure, I'll do a Sunday, Monday. I'll people call up and go, hey, you know, we're – we're coming to the town and, and we'd like to do a Wednesday, Thursday. <laughs> Let me back up. Can you do a Thursday, Friday? We're racing on Saturday and Sunday. I'm like, dude, I'm going to do that. Do Tuesday, Wednesday with two days rest, or you want to do you know, <laughs> Thursday and have a full day of rest before you hit the track. But yeah, we, we pretty much do Saturday and Sundays, but I'll do special schools. People call me up. Say, I got six friends. We want to come out. I'm like, Cool. Let's do it. Minimum of five or six. And I'll, I'll host a school if I'm not doing something with my son or out of town. Okay. That was my other question is generally like how many people do we, do you have at a time? So I keep it around nine to 10. Okay. You know, I really like this intimate environment. Um, it changed after COVID. There was a time when I was taking 12 to 15 people. And at that point, it's like the old Ed Sullivan show back in the 1960s, the guy that would have the sticks and the plates. He's spinning all the plates. He's running down, up and down. He's trying to keep all the plates spinning. Right. Well, that's how you feel when you have 15 people out there. Um, when COVID hit, I took it down. It's like, okay, we're, we're social distancing. Uh, I'll take five people. We're outdoors. We have, you know, put your mask on. We got plenty of room. 
let's social distance. And it's like, yeah, this is easy. It's kind of neat. A lot of mm-hmm. water. Then I started doing six, and then it's like, you know, it was up to like eight people. And then at nine, that seemed to be the perfect number. You know, if we had nine people, because in the on Sunday afternoon, I like to do this thing called the three ring circus. I set up three separate uh, configurations. And if you look at my website, you'll see that we can probably between clockwise and counterclockwise, 40 configurations. Wow. Yeah. We've got everything. I mean, fast transitions, sweepers, corkscrews, big bowl turns. Dale Quarterly uh, comes in and coaches with me. I've been working with Dale or he's been working with me for about 10 years. And he calls uh, that area, he calls it Death Valley because you enter off camber, it goes flat over a, a crest and then you, you exit off camber. Uh, okay. But anyway, going back to, to the, uh, the schools and, and the numbers, when you've got, you know, eight or nine people, it's easy to do like the three ring circus and move people around and do all these drills. When I get up to 12 and 15, it's, I feel like I'm hurting cats. Need a, need a couple more sets of eyes out there or something. Well, yeah. And typically I'll have, here's what's funny early in the season before Moto America and where really get, get cranking. Um, I will have, like, I had to cancel my school mid January because it was 13 degrees and it's been raining like crazy and all that, moisture is coming up to the surface. The ground was frozen. You would have been riding on ice. Now, right. we had, you know, ice studs and ice tires, that would have been awesome. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was, it was 13 in the morning, 31 in the afternoon, and 15 the following morning. Wow. Like, that's we have to cancel. I would have had five Moto America pros that weekend. And I had, I think, six students. And then there was me. So it would have been one-on-one. We'd have had 12 people on track, but right. half the class would have been instructors. So typically it's, um, I'll have two or three instructors for seven to nine students, okay. which means you get tons of feedback. Like when you go to the racetrack, right? <clears throat> you roll out on pit road, got all the hand signals that you're doing with the, the students. Now, unless you have helmet to helmet communicators, your instructor is going to bring you in after a couple of laps and say, okay, right. this, this, and this, and go back out. Well, you're running two, two and a half minute laps, depending on your track or wherever you are or your mm-hmm. school, right? You come back in and, it takes so much time on my tracks, a fast lap's 30 seconds. And I can pull you off anywhere on the track, but Hey, you're going to kill yourself. If you keep doing this in this corner, you got to change this right now, change it, work with them. And I will physically put people on the bike and put my hip against the front tire. And you know, you're, you go here, 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 your elbows there, your hand is there. Feel that. Okay. Now when you come back, I want to see your body in that position. Just work on that one piece. And we, you know, go through all those pieces. But the point of the story is that you get immediate feedback. That's the beauty of what we do. You get immediate feedback. Right. Yeah. Okay. And that's, that's the small numbers again. Right. It is so weird looking at the screen with everything reversed. <laughs> so, yeah. so just one more, one more thing on that. Cause, cause maybe I want to get a, a posse together and, you know, you get a posse of friends together and come out. Yeah. Uh, as a matter of fact, guy named Casey that, that runs the supermoto events, at uh, Carolina Motorsports Park, he um, he called me the other day and says, hey, man, I think I can bring eight or nine guys. Can you just do a special event for us? I'm like, sure. I said, pick a month. And then, he, you know, I said, he said, I'll get back to you with a month. I'll get back to you with a couple of weekends. I'm like, great. We'll narrow that down and we'll, you know, we'll set that up. I said, but what we're going to do also is we're going to pick an alternate weekend in case we do get a front and, you know, we get, you know, bad weather. Right. Typically, once April comes along, we're good. <laughs> But like last year, I had an event set up. I do a, a nonprofit for veterans, and I'd love to tell you guys about that. But um, I, I said, okay, Memorial Day weekend, we're going to have the vets come out. This will be perfect. 
you know, you've got uh, CCS running up at um, at Summit Point. You've got where all somewhere else. You know, this would be great for the vets. So I set it all up. Memorial Day weekend is when people like to grill out, have hot dogs, hamburgers. It rained Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And I'm not talking about a little bit of rain. I'm talking about a lot of rain. And that never happens. I mean, <laughs> normally once, you know, May rolls around, you may get an evening thunderstorm, which is great because it waters the track. And the next day, we don't have to water as much. Uh, I've got a full irrigation system. We spend a lot of time, you know, spritzing down so we don't have to breathe dust. But mm -hmm. the point is, I tell people to always pick alternate dates. You know, okay. being outdoor facility, not a covered area like what Collins got down in Texas, we're we're subject to the weather. But like I said, typically April, May, June, July. By the time August hits, yeah, you know, most people don't want to train because it's so humid and hot in in the, in the summer here. Yeah, I'm just a little bit south of you, and uh, yeah, it is hot and humid. I can attest to that. But um, so do I. Do I need to bring my own gear or? No, we have everything. You can show up in shorts and sandals, and uh, we can fully deck you out. You got not, the socks aren't going to be dirty and sweaty. Sorry, let me take that back. You're going to bring your own socks, bring okay. your own gear. Right. and underwear, <laughs> Ethan. Yeah. Hey, you know, I tell everybody bring a pair of cycling shorts because the padded cycling shorts, because you're, you know, you know, so much of the time you're you're moving the bike around so much underneath you that it will scrub the skin off your hiney. So right. wearing, uh, cycling shorts really helps. But yeah, I mean, you know, helmets, boots, gloves, knees, elbows, jerseys. Um, yeah, everything. Pretty much everything. But yeah, you caught me on the socks. <laughs> Bring some padded shorts. You're good to go. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, that's... So, um, so hold on. Do you... Yeah, keep going. Yeah. So you mentioned January. You, you operate year-round then. Year-round. Yep, absolutely year-round. And... Um, this past, like I said, this past January, it was 13 degrees, then it rained. I've got a rally racer that's coming out to train with me on Thursday. So I was, I've been out there the last couple of days uh, prepping tracks. The short track's gorgeous. Right now, the short track is gorgeous. But there's so much moisture that's leaching in from the uh, hillsides and stuff that my main tracks, I'm hoping that they're going to be dry enough that I can prep them tomorrow. So by Thursday, they'll be in good shape. So the two of us can work together. So I do private lessons as well, obviously. But um, yeah, we operate year round. Uh, typically around the holidays, we, we did a school this past December, first week of December. But once you get past the first week into December, everybody's geared up for the holidays. So we pretty mm -hmm. much take those last three weekends off. Right. Okay. Okay. And, and so the, the facility belongs to, to you and Corner Spin, correct? It's mine. So, yeah, so there's no holdout on someone else using it or anything like that. Right. And that's, that's the funny thing. It's like, you know, I love to ride. I love to train. I'm passionate about what I do. As you can tell, I'm, I'm super intense. I get going and I want to keep going. So I tell the guys, it's like, you know, I know the guy that uh, owns this place. You know, we don't have to be out at five o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, there you go. And we'll go and go. And there are times that if it's, if it's a little mushy in the mornings, the tracks, or if it's a little cold, it's like, Hey guys, Let's get the um, the burn barrel going, and then we'll just, you know stand around, rub our hands, and and take our time, and we'll just go until you know we don't want to go any longer. Right. Uh, there's been times when I've had kids come to the uh, to the facility. This is funny. Uh, there's um, Leonidas Yarmes, uh, South American. He's racing in Spain now. Leo's probably 14, but his family uh, from South America was living in Florida. So coming up to my facility, no red clay in Florida. And so for him, it's like Disney World. So 
we actually had headlights on so he could ride the short track. It's nighttime and the headlights are on and he's down the short track just ripping. Um, uh, you know, maybe you should you should get some spotlights out there and just run 24-7. Just I've thought about it. I've thought <laughs> about it. Um, but uh, that's one thing I haven't done is put in lights so we run at night. Typically, most people are pretty worn out by four in the afternoon anyway. Yeah, but um, you know, on the on the hot and humid days, though, I do wonder if uh, just just talking out loud. But yeah, I know. It's, but the crazy thing is, you know, the heat of the day is like five or six in the evening. Right. So yeah. when you go into the summer, even when the sun goes down, it's still 80 degrees. So um, I don't know. Like I said, I've considered it, but I've never done it. Sidebar, I'll give you a quick um, overview of what I do for the vets. Countersteerlife.org. It is 100% free for eligible vets. It's for post-9-11 veterans that, are, that's cope, that cope with PTSD and combat stress, TBIs. I've started this organization back in 2016. My dad was a medically discharged Korea vet. And at the okay. time, it was called you know battle fatigue or shell shock or any one of the, the pre-PTSD terms that was used back in the day, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of in memory and honor of my dad, I started this organization to help vets. And if you think about it, for relieving stress and trying to leave the past behind and don't worry about the future to stay in the present, what do we all do? We ride motorcycles. Absolutely. So, a lot of this veteran therapy is equine therapy. It's kayaking. It's rock climbing. It's anything that requires you to be in present time. Right. So everything else just gets, you know, erased. So we, we give them a safe place, peer support, community. They're, they're part of a tribe again. Guys come in from, and gals come in from all uh, different branches. And like I said, it, it's a free weekend. We host them. We feed them. It's, it's great time. It's a really great time and really great people. So it's an honor and a privilege to give back to the vets. But like I said, it's for our post 9-11 veterans and guys that rotated out in 2009, 2010. They're not going to get over what they saw and what they did. So even, you know, here 14 years later, they may have never tried motorcycling. Mm -hmm. Right. Get them in. Let them teach them how to ride. If they know how to ride, we try to plug them into veteran riding groups. But like I said, we we do this, you know, to to give back, and uh, it's 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 really cool. I really enjoy doing it. Counterstyrelife.org. If you have a friend that needs it, or if you think they need it, intervene. Twenty two a day is a horrible figure, and that's that's what we we keep hearing is twenty two vets a day commit suicide. We want we want to do what we can to limit or stop that. So, yeah. so I appreciate you doing that. We'll put a link. Yeah, we will absolutely have that linked down below in the description. So please go check that out. Well, oh, thank you. Absolutely. So um, yeah, let's keep going. What else do we want to talk about, guys? You know, so I wanted to. You sound like a man that likes to tell stories. I wanted wanted to hear your your personal greatest success story. You don't have to name a name per se if you don't want to. If you don't want the other people to feel like maybe they're getting left out, but just kind of you know, with your time at, at Corner Spin and and even Corner Speed. What would you consider like this was the one pinnacle moment or have you not hit it yet? Golly, you know, I don't think I've hit that yet. And it's, I think it's, it's, uh, you know, the two athletes I'm working with right now, I really, really enjoy them. Uh, Blake Davis and, and Nathan Gowker, you know, Blake is 17. I think he's turning 18 this year. Uh, he's got support from Yamaha the racing super sport. Great kid. And we, yeah, when he started training with me, he came up to about here on me. And now I come up to about here on him. But to see the growth and the change, 
changes in these young athletes, it's just amazing. Uh, great kid, great family. I expect, you know, again, using that word for a third time, great things from him. Um, I mean, last year at his inaugural Daytona 200, I was part of his crew and, and helping out. And they had the restart and he finished seventh in the restart, you know, because it was kind of like a, a dash, you know, at the end. It was kind uh, of an odd restart. Yeah. But year. he had a, a pit lane violation uh, earlier in the race. And I think, you know, he wasn't that far over, but you break the rules, you break the rules. So he got relegated five places, four or five places, still finished like 11th. You know, and here's a kid first time on a two in, in the 200. I mean, mm-hmm. really super impressive. And I think for me, you know, golly, man, it's like I can't just pinpoint one person. But for me, when I get emails from people, here's OK. I get emails from people all the time going, hey, coach, this happened at BIR turn seven, blah, blah, blah. I did what you taught me. I didn't high side or I was on the commuting today and this band pulled right out in front of me. And I was braking so hard that I was sliding the front tire, but I was able to like trail off the brake and push on the bar and move it back. And I avoided an accident. You know, those, I mean, those are success stories. When right. you hear that, you know, what I taught somebody kept them out of the hospital or it kept them off the ground or they want to race because it was like, yeah, or last lap, I lost the front, but I gathered it back up and I still made podium. Those are all success stories. So. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess it's kind of hard to say, you know, have I hit hit the pinnacle? What's, mm-hmm. what's the one, you know? You know, when I'm when I'm old and gray and I get invited to a MotoGP, it's like, yeah, thanks, son. Thanks. <laughs> you know, Yay! Yeah. <laughs> That's good. You know, I'm just that I'm still athletic enough to go out there and, and bar bang with these kids. You know, in the dirt, I can hold my own. But I tell you what, man, it's like getting on the track with some of the names that I've named. I don't think I'm in the same zip code once it's <laughs> it's it's amazing to see them go. Yeah. A, but again, I'm not I'm not my twenties anymore. Yeah, it's fair. So we uh had the the pleasure to watch Stefano Mesa Stefano Mesa. Stefano. Stefano. Okay. Yeah, so right. because you know, Mauricio and Karen, his parents. You know, when, when Greg White would say Stefano, they would look at each other and they're like, well, I, I'm glad you made that correction because yeah. I was going to say, hold on, Jeff White. I know how he says it. I watch enough Mono America. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Stefano. Stefano. Okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, Stef- Stefano Mesa, I'll have to fix that. Um, <laughs> but we were, we were at Carolina Motorsports Park and he, he was out there doing some training, but also just kind of riding and yeah. Wow. To, to watch someone like up close and personal and not in a race. Cause you know, you can go to the races and live, you watch them on TV and for whatever reason, even if you're there live watching it, it still feels far off, right? It, it feels like it's not obtainable or real or whatever, but then to be on the same track on the same day, 20 minutes later as a guy like that, riding at that level kind of just gives you a different perspective on what you're actually doing. And it is a good time. And also lets you know how far away you are from being fast. So <laughs> it's, it's humbling. You know, the young talent out there, when, when they dial it up, it's humbling. I, I had my own experience about five years ago when BMW came out with the HP4 race, this $80,000 track only S1000, right? Mm-hmm. So I had coached Nate Kern 
back in the day, back in 04. As a matter of fact, I went to Germany with him for the Boxer Cup. I was I was umbrella dude, uh, mechanic, um, coach. I was, you know, it was like it was Nate and it was me. And uh, right after it was right after 9-11 and TSA took all of his tools. So we get okay. there and he's got he doesn't have any tools. So uh, Brian, at the time, Brian Perriott uh, was living in Spain and racing the, the BMW Boxer Cup. And so Brian was hooking me up with tools, and he and his wife, Rose, are great people. I hung out with them a lot. Point to the story is that, gosh, we're talking about you know getting with fast people on track and everything. Went to that when I rode that HP4. I'm out there, and Nate's, you know, I go as, as a guest of, and everything, and he goes, I just turn off the TC, give, give Aaron the bike, let him go. He used to coach me, blah, blah, blah. So I'm out there, and I think I'm ripping, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm coming off of, like, this is on South Course. He had lost uh, a date at, at, at uh, Coda. I was doing the event at South Course. So I'm coming on to like, what they call Wheelie Hill, turn 10. And I'm coming down the hill like this. I'm like, I'm ripping. You know, this is all I'm on. Mesa comes around me like I am tied to a stump. <laughs> <laughs> And when his front end comes down, the front's going, <laughs> and just checks out, you know, and come into like old oak tree, turn 11. And I'm kneeling on the deck and I'm watching him just, just walk away from me. I'm like, yeah, that was uh, kind of humbling. Go, yeah. young man, go. Or go, Danielson, you go find the balance. <laughs> and people call me Miyagi because, you know, I'm, I'm at that age now. I'm, I'm in my 60s. I'm Miyagi. And um, I go, I work with all the kids. It's like, oh, go find the balance. So is it is it traction on, traction off? Is that? Uh, uh, break on, break <laughs> off. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, young oh. sky, young sky, medevac. <laughs> oh man oh. hit the floor you are the floor <laughs> good. well I, you know after after hanging out with you here i'm definitely gonna i think we'll both of us will probably definitely make a trip up to your place one of these times and uh love to have you man and it, it's cool because like what you're asking like success stories and and people like mesa and, and kern and and other people I've worked with over the years, I'm able to tell these stories when when you're huffing and puffing for air after I've had you on the, you know, training for an hour. That's when I start talking about stories. I went to the Cal GP with with Jeff May, and um, Tim Anderson was his first mechanic, and I was there as a second set of hands, I guess second mechanic to work uh, at the Macau GP. Well, while we're there, it's um, Josh Hayes, Jeff Jeff May, and Jeremy Toy, and um, I think. Josh, I think this is a Macau GP where, where people are scrubbing their shoulders on, on stone walls, kind of like Isle of Man. I think right. Josh got fourth. He was just off a podium. Jeff got fifth. Jeremy got ninth. And so we, the Americans, made a really good showing over there. Right. And that's when McGinnis and Rudder and Easton, those three guys were on, on podium. I think Rudder won at Michael Rudder, uh, who's got just accolades uh, out the yin yang for, you know, doing the, the Irish and English road racing, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, what they call the real road racing lads, <laughs> right? Public roads. I'm like, yeah, you guys can keep that. But yeah, yeah. Cool. yeah. <laughs> I'm actually, like, you know, kind of keep you guys a little entertained, you know, while you're um, quaffing down Gatorade and eating granola. Right. Trying to trying to maintain our energy for the full. You said ten hour day, right? 
pretty much run yeah Yeah. or longer because you know the owner of the property so yeah i know that guy you know he's pretty cool (laughs) ride till the sun goes down yeah (laughs) yeah well we need to easton he doesn't have any excuse because he's close to you it's true i'm on the other side of the country where do you live i'm in utah oh man i was just out there with my my son this past summer whereabouts i'm in cash valley it's called it's about an hour and a half out of salt lake north i'm right on the idaho border Gotcha. I have a Tenere 700. We went, we rode, we rode from North Carolina all the way across America. And uh, we, we stopped off in Louisville, um, Cahoka, Missouri, which is population like 500. That was like a little Twilight Zone episode story there. <laughs> On to the Badlands, up to Sturgis, hung out with Gary and um, Kelly uh, Kinsler. Gary is, you know, with Light Shoe. He owns Light Shoe, makes all my hot shoes. And then from there, we went to the Badlands, went across Wyoming and the Yellowstone up into Montana, came down. We hit the Wyoming BDR and the Utah BDR. Man, just all of that backstory is to say Utah is amazing. Beautiful, beautiful country. So last year's Wyoming BDR, how many people were on that when you met up with those guys? How many people are on the BDR event? Well, on the back road discovery routes. Um, that you, I programmed them into my, uh, my Garmin Zumo. And, um, so essentially with my little boy, AC, he rode Pillion with me on the Tenere and, um, there were days we didn't see anybody. I mean, I had a sat phone, a med kit, a tool kit. Uh, we had food, uh, bear bags so we could put our food in the t- trees in grizzly country. Mm-hmm. Um, there were days when we didn't see anybody. We would come off the trails, fill up the bike. And uh, if there was a restaurant nearby, we would eat and go back. So we'd be two or three days off-road, grab a hotel to wash out socks and underwear and stuff, and then, you know, right back into the woods, so to speak. Uh, We did 6,600 miles in three and a half weeks with no interstate. I think we did maybe 50 or 60 miles of interstate. That's it. Everything else was primary, back, secondary, dirt roads, trails, Transamerica Trail, that kind of stuff. Wow. That's awesome. And we, we went by ourselves. A friend of mine called me the other day. He used to do track days uh, at my events. And he goes, you didn't ride with anybody else? Just, just the two of you? I'm like, nope. Just took off. You know, the two of us. Yep. Me and a little 11-year-old. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. The people we met, the things we did. I wrote a story that was published locally. And uh, I talked to an editor of a national magazine. And the story's going to run in that. It's about, the story's about five times longer, but. Within that, what I said is every day was an adventure. Every day held a story. And it's so true. So I'm, I'm starting to write a book about it. If it ever gets published, it doesn't matter. My son will have it. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah, so but- you, you plan on doing it again then? So this summer, yeah. Um, I will be conducting schools. My levels one, my 1.5, like corner spin 1.5 is where I teach you how to use a hot shoe. And then level two is um, – uh, our pro camps, just like our pro router workshop. I'll be doing those all the way up through June. And then in July, I'm going to ship my bike across country. His mom was very gracious to allow, you know, me to take him for a month. Um, right. She's like, I don't want to be away from him for a full month. So I think what we're going to do is ship the Tenere out to the West coast. Uh, and then I'll fly in with my son and then um, we will take off and we'll go up the Oregon coast, Washington coast, ferry over to Vancouver Island, ferry over to uh, the mainland of British Columbia, go across British Columbia, 
up to Alberta, the Banff Highway, and then down through the Canadian Jackson Park, the Banff Park, into Glacier National Park, and then probably over towards Missoula. A good friend of mine, Shane Hobgood, lives there. And uh, Shane uh, worked with uh, Moto America for years and raced for a lot of years in Moto America. So maybe you get to stay with him and then put my boy on an airplane back to his mom, and then I'll ride across America back home. All right. That's what I'm for this year. And then when I get home, it'll be hot. It'll be August. I'll have time to recover. And then September, <laughs> that's when the schools will crank up again. Because, you know, I'll put the schools on the on the uh, calendar for, for August. It's weird. Sometimes they sell out. Sometimes they we get one or two people. But it kind of depends. Yes, August in the Carolinas, man. Yeah. It's so yeah. funny. When you go online, you ask about corner spin. People say, oh, yeah, man, awesome school. Really like it, blah, 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 blah. Don't go when it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you just got to bring more Gatorade, you know. That's it, man. It's funny because we've got a well. We've got a, uh, you know, an irrigation system. And the water comes out of the ground at like 55 degrees. So if you want to cool off, you know, and I see people do that. They'll um, they'll come by me and it's like, you know, they're riding and everything. And they're doing this like, water me down. <laughs> I'm spritzing them with the hose. There you go. That's what I would need. I'm that guy. That's good. Yeah, man. Well, Cole, did you have any other pressing questions or? Well, I don't think I have anything pressing other than I got to get out there. I'm serious about that. We're going to go out there. Yeah. You heard it here first, Easton. All right. Well, I, I heard it here first. And I, I also said it here first. So you hear, you heard it here first, Aaron. We will be out your way. <laughs> so yeah, love to have you. Love to have you. So I've really kind of rambled down rabbit holes here, there, and everywhere. Man, I've been riding my whole life. I love it. I love coaching. You know, I love working with everyday riders. So whether it's the aspiring racer or it's the surgeon and his wife or the plumber and his wife or, you know, the track day guys and gals, it's like, man, you'll you'll see just a cross section of America when you come out to corner spin. It's so cool. Yeah. Good deal. Yeah. Yeah. And to to our listeners, if you're in area or if you can get out close, um, we're going to personally go check this out and. Make sure Aaron does know what he's talking about, you know, and we'll, we'll be able to give you a, a personal review. But cool. until then, if you can beat us to it, definitely get there and and check it out. Um, then was there any uh, anyone else specific you called out your hot shoe guy? Anyone else specific you wanted to call out or? So I'm a climb ambassador. Um, so climb has been real good. Alpine Stars helps us with our veteran program. Uh, 6D Helmets has been taking care of me. Uh, Dunlop tires for years. Um, and even with my ADV bike, I support the company and, and bought me a set of Dunlops for my ADV bike. Um, I will say this, this t-shirt that I'm, <laughs> it's so weird. It's backwards. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't sell these. You can only yeah. get the shirt if you take the school. And, um, if you go to a Moto America round or you go around anywhere and you see that shirt and, um, you know, you know, if you've been to the school, it's it's shared blood. Um, whoever wears it, they had to come and get it. I have sponsors asking to send them. I'm like, nope. If you're you know if you're capable to come and teach with me, that's how you're going to get the shirt, or you're going to have to do the school with me. But even my son, I made him take the school. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> as a matter of fact, they were both eight years old, and since then I had the youngest graduate ever. He was seven. He had just turned seven, but he'd been racing motocross since he was three. Mm -hmm. okay. So cool to see that little dude, you know, take off and, and learn this stuff. He was a really good student for a kid that young. Right. You know, I had a 
a second grader out there. It was cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool. That's awesome. Well, yeah, I go get yourselves a shirt because you can't get it anywhere else. So, that's it, man. sweet. Well, just like to say to the listeners, thanks for listening this week. Great to have you on, Aaron. We appreciate you being here, telling us a little bit about Corner Spin. We'll, uh, as we already said, we'll we'll come out and check it out and let everyone know that's listening. If you're still still here listening, please click the subscribe button down below. Throw a like on the video. Leave a comment for Aaron. I'll pass them all along to him. Let him know how he was on the podcast, and we'll see everyone next week. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thank you.